Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Conversations with Coaches. I'm your host, Ken Louise, and today we have the pleasure of having Coach Ashley Scher. She is the founder and director of the Center for Advanced Leadership. She is an expert in business analysis, leadership, and people management. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Yeah. Thank you again, Ken, for inviting me on. I'm excited to be here today. I'm an ACTP certified executive coach and an active member of the International Institute of Business Analysis, the Institute of Management Consulting, and the International Coaching Federation. I have over 15 years as an owner and co-owner of three different small businesses and over 12 years serving in multiple leadership roles. I have worked with organizations from the state of Oregon, the city of Portland, and the Oregon Manufacturing Innovation Center to small businesses such as Huff Innovations, BitPro, and WBTO Incorporated. And just to add a little personal flavor in my personal life, I'm super outdoorsy. I'm an Oregonian, and I enjoy all that the Northwest has to offer, spending a lot of time on the river, at the beach, or in the woods. So you have a closet full of Patagonia, is what I'm hearing. I do, yes, but don't tell anybody. Okay, I'll not tell anybody. Well, that is a lot of credentials, and I'm so excited to have you on board, to have someone of your caliber on the podcast. But I want to talk about a particular topic that I think is on everyone's mind during this you know, global pandemic that we're experiencing, mm-hmm. and that is you know, talking about stress and overwhelm and really just feeling like you're trying to put 10 pounds of stuff into a five-pound bag and you're out of room. So I can give you a little bit of a background of kind of what stress is all about, and we can start diving into that to kind of give you this zoom out definition about, you know, what stress is, is we should, and and most of us know this, you know, stress is a chemical reaction and it's our body's way of reacting to change that requires us to adjust the way that we approach things. And our body's reaction can come across as emotional. It can come across as physical, or it can come across as mental. When we think of stress, we think of it as though it's always like this bad thing, but when stress in small amounts is really healthy for us, it actually keeps us motivated and it keeps us productive, but it's when our stress level starts to increase where we start to become overwhelmed and unproductive. And then of course, if our stress level rises to these extreme amounts, it can become crippling and that prevents us from doing everyday normal activities. So it's not so much about whether or not you have stress, it's more about how you're managing that stress that makes the difference. Yeah. So, so what are the, some of the signs of, of stress? Because you said stress is not necessarily a bad thing, right? People talk about it like it's a terrible thing, but it might be actually a good thing. Like you're have a deadline and you're stressed to meet the deadline, but you're actually increases your focus and your productivity during that time. So not necessarily a bad thing, but when stress gets out of control, how does somebody actually know that they're experiencing stress and overwhelm and not something else? Right. Well, there are a few signs and symptoms of stress that you can look out for both in yourself and in your employees as well as leaders. And those signs can go from physical symptoms to behavioral symptoms. So I'll kind of talk about a little bit of those. Some of the physical symptoms would be like low energy, aches and pains, frequent illness. So on that employee side, if you're noticing maybe those Monday-itis folks. Right. Yeah. The Monday flu, we call it. Yeah. Right, right. It might be a good opportunity to kind of have that conversation and approach it from maybe a stress angle and saying, hey, you know, I've noticed that you've missed a few Mondays and I just want to make sure that you're not feeling any anxiety about coming into work. And I just want to check in on your stress levels and make sure that you're okay. And then follow follow it up with, is there something that I can do to help you kind of a thing? 
let's go into those behavioral symptoms too. So you had mentioned that when we're really productive, we cannot, we don't necessarily see that we're stressed out. So some of those behavioral symptoms that you can notice is if you're eating more than you usually do, or you're mm-hmm. eating less than you usually do. Yeah. Sleeping is the same way, sleeping more or sleeping less than you usually do. Procrastination is a good sign. But in this case, if you're really feeling productive, you're going to have some nervous habits maybe come along, biting your fingernails, maybe you start twirling your hair as you're working, those kind of things. From that manager leader perspective, if you notice that in your employee, it wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing to interrupt them and say, hey, it looks like you're really focused on this project. You know, I noticed that you, you might be a little intense. Do you think now would be a good time to take a break? Do you want to grab a cup of coffee with me and see if you can kind of break that so they can come back from a fresh perspective? Yeah, awesome. I mean, I know I've done that as a leader before when I see an employee or a team member who's not normally short-tempered or irritable, and suddenly they, they show up as being very irritable or they're not playing nice with others in the sandbox. And that's when yeah. we go out and have a cup of coffee and, and discuss what's going on and not in a bad way, right? It's like, Hey, tell me why you're being such a jerk. Right. It's like, hey, you know, what, what's going on? How, how can I help? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed that you've been a little moody with me. Your colleagues have noticed that you've been a little irritable with them. And we just want to check in on you, see how you're doing, check in on those stress levels. And again, you always want to follow it up with how can we help? Awesome. Awesome. So before we got on, you were telling me about some studies on stress. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, these are a little bit old, but I like the fact that they're a little bit old because the world has changed so much. So in 2019, the New York Times did a poll and it showed that Americans were among the most stressed people in the world. Wow. Now again, yeah, yeah. Now that was done in 2019. I'm sure that everybody's stress level all over the world has increased significantly. Sure. Right. But what's interesting is that stress has been a problem in organizations for such a long time and we haven't figured out how to address it. One of those other studies, actually, this one's my favorite one because it kind of shows the impact, but it was a Stress in America report that was done in 2015, and it showed that 60% of all illnesses and diseases were caused by undiagnosed stress. Mm. And so I, yeah, I geeked out on that a little bit and I was like, oh, what's this about? And what I found is that stress literally affects your DNA. So at the ends of the strands of your DNA, you have these cells and they duplicate rapidly. But when we get stressed out, those cells start to slow down in their duplication. And when we get really stressed out, they slow down so much that it actually affects the length of the strand at the end of your DNA. So that's some big impact there. Sure. Yes. That it may be life-changing. So you um, said then, undiagnosed stress. I just want to kind of question about that. How do you diagnose it? I mean, is there like a test that you can take that says, yes, you're definitely stressed out? Well, I'm sure that certain signs, as far as the medical field goes, high blood pressure and those kind of things, right. but it's going to go back to those signs of stress. How do you know you're feeling anxious and you're, so those are the real symptoms, but there's no medical study that says, oh, your cortisol is a little high today because we want our cortisol there. It's that productive side. On that medical side, it's hard to tell, which is why we want to keep an eye on those, those physical symptoms. You know, I just find this stuff so fascinating that I could probably throw too much out there. So I'll just give you one more and then we'll, we'll call it good. But the study continued to say that three out of four doctor visits were due to stress. But more importantly, that organizations spend $300 billion in loss of productivity. Yeah. And medical costs every year. So Stress isn't a problem only for our own individual health and satisfaction, but it's affecting our organizational bottom line. And I think that that's something that we're not paying attention to. 
Sure. And I'm assuming that affects the bottom line with absenteeism, lower productivity. FMLA. Yeah, it depends on some of the situations. We've seen situations where people are so stressed out that they become super sensitive and those can roll into some sort of a maybe harassment, bullying kind of a perspective. So if Mm -hmm. it gets out of control, it can go in a direction you're not wanting it to go. Yep. And that's not good for anybody. Right, right. Not your employees or you or your organization. So how have you noticed, uh, like when I was just a young buck starting in my career, stress was just something you dealt with. Mm. Just like, oh, you're stressed out? Oh, just get over it. Walk it off. You know, do whatever you have to do. It was kind of like the old football coach, rub some dirt in it. It'll be fine. (laughs) Right? Right. We didn't really think about it in a way that's going to affect productivity or affect anything other than the person that was feeling the stress. And that was kind of a sign of weakness, really, that you couldn't handle what you were doing. How do you think that's changed over the years? Well, I think that we've realized that it doesn't work by putting that pressure on somebody who's already stressed out, isn't getting us the results that we're looking for. And because we're noticing that it's not getting us the results we're looking for, we're starting to adjust our approach, which is really the the answer. That's what we're going for. So I think we're heading in the right direction, which is good. So we may have already answered this question, but I mean, how do you know that stress has gone too far, that things that really need to be addressed at this point? Yeah, it's definitely going to be those, those physical symptoms. And if you're feeling anxiety, fear can be something that leads to it as well. So definitely keep a pay attention to those physical signs. But one thing I might also mention here is that we think that stress comes from negative places like poor employee performance or profit loss or more COVID regulations kind of a thing. Sure, right. Right. But stress can come from these positive events and situations as well. So like hiring new employees, launching a new product. In the personal life, having a baby, weddings. Right. Yes. So, right. yeah. So, don't necessarily think about stress as though it's only coming from negative things. It can come from positive events and situations. Sure. Moving, that's a big stressor, right? Oh, yeah. Starting a new yeah. job, obviously, a big stressor. Moving to a new place and, and then having a baby or car in my problems. Case, or... In my case, when we moved uh, to our current home right now, our, one of our daughters was 12 and that was a really bad time for her to move. You know, it was a really bad time for, for any 12 year old to like, I'm going to leave your old friends behind. We're going to make new friends. Right. Such a sensitive age. Yeah. That was a, that was a big stressor in the family uh, as well. So it might not even be my stress. It might be, for example, my daughter's stress for moving to a new school. And that was causing stress amongst the whole family. So uh, all of these areas can, can contribute. And it tells you a little bit about the dynamics of a team. So when you have a stressed out employee, it doesn't, you know, like having a family member stressed out, it affects the entire team. It affects the entire family. But I appreciate the fact that you recognize that. And it sounds like you really made a lot of effort to kind of help your daughter with the change management side of things. And that's really all we can do is help our employees manage the change, manage the stressors. Right. She's 27 now. And she just told me a few weeks ago that she wished she knew how we felt about her and uh, how much we would do for her during that time. Cause she would have asked for an Xbox or a <laughs> PlayStation or something like that. She, she really didn't take advantage of that situation. That's what she was saying. <laughs> Sounds like she's very creative. So I would like to have a conversation with your daughter. Yes. Yeah. She's an architect. So yes, yeah, she's very creative. Oh, yeah. So how can leaders manage their stress? And a lot of people think about this as, as time management right? So like, how can they manage their time so that they can reduce or mitigate their stress and and overwhelm? Yeah, definitely. Time management is a huge stressor for a lot of leaders. 
And, and it's because we all have the same constraints. We all have the constraint of time and we all have priorities. The trick is that leaders can manage their time by looking at their priorities, considering their activities, and making sure that their activities are aligned with those priorities. And I've got a tip for that one. So one of the ways that you can put yourself in the right mindset when it comes to time management is to ask yourself three questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. The first one is, what are my priorities? And the second one is, what am I actually doing with my time? And then from there, you'll ask yourself, how much of my time am I wasting on things that don't really matter? Mm, That's a big one. Yeah. And there's a tool also that, I mean, I don't know. Have you heard of the the Eisenhower metrics? I don't think so. No? Oh, you're going to love it, Ken. It's fantastic. I've heard a lot of them. I have not heard about the Eisenhower metrics. Oh, that one's my go-to tool. It's, it's okay. what I use to manage my time. So hopefully it'll work for others as well. Great. But like, as, as you mentioned, there's a lot of different tools out there. So I guess the, the takeaway on that is you have to find the tool that's going to work for you. So if this one's not it, find the one that is. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I was just working with a client this morning and I showed him a tool that I had uh, that, that helped other clients manage their time. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't going to work for her. She's an executive at a, at a large Fortune 500 company. She has just way too many to-dos to kind of mm-hmm. go through this prioritization. So what she needed was a, a different kind of system that kind of incorpor- incorporated all of her to-dos and be able to sort and sift through them to determine what she was going to expend her energy and effort on next. But I, I, and I'd love to hear how this uh, Eisenhower metrics works. Yeah, yeah. And, and maybe it'll work for your client too. So we'll see about that. But Eisenhower, just to kind of give you a little bit of a background, I'm, I'm sure you know this already, but he was our 34th president of the United States. Um, and that was during World War II. So you can certainly bet that he wanted to make sure that his priorities were aligned with the activities that he wanted to perform, right? Yeah. Just to be clear, he wasn't the president during World War II. He was a general in World War II. He was the head of the strategic alliance of all of the, uh, the allied forces. Oh, Ken, I love that you added that. Thank you for, mm. for making sure that I had the right position there. But all I know is that he's an important guy during World War II. And uh, right. we're going to, yeah, right. I only I, I didn't live during World War II. I'm not that old, but uh, okay. I, I did read about that. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, I'm going to have to have to make a note of that. So Eisenhower, what I like about his approach is it's more about the way you're thinking about your tasks. So it's not so much like a piece of paper or a worksheet that you have to work through. It's all about aligning your priorities with your tasks. And he did that using what he calls the Eisenhower metrics. And so how he viewed tasks is they were either urgent, meaning they needed to get done right away, or they were not urgent, meaning they did not need to get done right away. And they were aligned with his priorities or they were not aligned with his priorities. That was it. So if a new activity came in, he would think to himself, is, does this need to be done right away? And is it aligned with my priorities? And if it is, he just does it. He would also, so he'd also ask himself, does, if this doesn't need to get done right away and it's still aligned with my priorities, then he'll schedule it and commit to doing it at a later time. If the activity needed to get done right away, but it was not aligned with his priorities, he would delegate it. He would find somebody who is capable of performing that task for him. And if, yeah, and if the activity was, it did not need to get done right away and it was not aligned with his priorities, he considered those activities as time wasters and wouldn't give them another thought. Right. 
So, I mean, if you ask yourself questions, you know, what would happen if I didn't do this now? Or how much does this task align with my priorities? You can really start to shift the way you think about tasks. And that mind shift can help you kind of make these decisions on the fly as well. So the more you practice it, the easier it becomes along the way. So is this kind of a, this is kind of like a question, not really like a quadrant kind of a thing. So like the quadrant of, uh, from Stephen Covey's seven habits of high performing people where he's got urgent and important and he kind of aligns that up and say, is this task urgent and important, or is this not urgent and not important? And then makes his decisions based on where it fits in those quadrants. So is this kind of a quadrant thing or are these just questions that you'd ask and say, is this urgent sure. and important or, or does it align with my priorities and is it urgent? Right. So, I mean, you can definitely use it as like a written metrics, a quadrant metrics and start okay. to align your tasks that way. But as leaders, we're so busy and carrying around this extra worksheet. And so every time somebody asks us for a task or some email comes in to look at this worksheet and try to align it that way, feels like it's taking more time. So it's one of those spending time to control my time is wasting my time kind of a, right? Right. Um, And that's why I shift it to more of that mindset. If you just start thinking about your tasks in this fashion, you start aligning your activities with your priorities, this will start to work itself out on its own without having to take those extra steps of writing down those tasks in those quadrants. Sure. You don't have to take your 50 tasks and sit down with a piece of paper and then spend an hour doing that because now you've just lost an hour. And if you could have just thought about each one and said, is this urgent or is it not? Is this non-urgent and is it not aligned Then I'm not even going to put it on my to-do list because it's a waste of time. Right, right. Now, sometimes, and Ken, you might've tried this strategy too. When you feel overwhelmed, instead of going forward before, I guess I should say it this way, before you move into shifting your mindset, it might make sense to do kind of a time study. So like for one week, measure how you're using your time in like 15 minute increments. And you'll start to notice, boy, I'm interrupted a lot by employees during these times or, and so that'll help you notice patterns that you can get in front of. So there's another tip for your participants. Excellent. So a time study, just basically analyzing your last week's worth of productivity and or interruptions or and of not productivity. What did I get done? What did I not get done? What did I work on? What did I not work on? Here's the things that I did get done. Were these urgent? Were these aligned with my priorities? How did I think through those? Right. Yeah. So that's really a a good tip for everyone to just kind of think about how they did perform last week. Because if we don't do that, we just kind of continue to go along and do the same things we've always done. Right. It's going from reactive to proactive. And that's really a part of the goal, right, Ken? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. We always want to kind of step back and figure out what the next step should be, what the next intelligent step is. Right. And taking that pause to think about it. So we're not shooting from the hip so much. So if someone is struggling with stress and overwhelm, are you going to be able to help them? Oh yeah, absolutely. In fact, one of the um, 30 day modules that we have is dedicated solely on helping leaders handle overwhelm and get control of their time because it's one of those essential skills that we really need. And it's one of the 11 essential skills that we offer at the center for advanced leadership. Oh, well, that sounds great. I mean, can you tell me a little bit more about your programs? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess what I should, I could start by letting you know, you know, I founded the center for advanced leadership to address a very specific problem. And and we as leaders have all felt it, but I'm not sure we've realized just how big this problem is. And the problem is how we're training our leadership. Mm -hmm. And this problem is so big that we are literally wasting $85 billion every year on traditional training programs that do not work. 
Well, my experience is worse than that. And some, oh. of the, some of the leaders that I've worked for had no leadership training. They were a technician that was really good at that technician part. They were the best technician in the department. And so they got promoted to the head of that department, mm-hmm. but they didn't really have any leadership training. They did what their boss did or mm-hmm. thought they, they thought they were doing what their boss did, or they did what their father did, or they did what they think they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some of the, some of the leaders that we have are kind of doing it by the seat of their pants. Right. Well, and we have all of this content out there. So I guess what I'm saying is there are these checkbox training courses that you can see on, on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, you read a book and on all of those things. And we think that we know it because we understand the concept. We think that we know what we're, what we're doing, but what we're missing is that real world applied learning. So we're not taking these concepts into the real world and then practicing them. And that's, that's kind of the difference. That's what's going to make a leader stand apart is that practicing those, those leadership skills. It's, it's, it's kind of like T-ball helps you learn the game, but if you want to become a professional, you've got to practice. And if you practice, you're going to be able to knock a 95 mile an hour ball right out of the park. That's what you want to do. Yeah. That's what we all want to do. We want to knock that out of the park and against the big league pitcher, right? Not against the T-ball pitcher, against the big league pitcher. Right. Uh, So what you were saying is practice. That, That comes, that makes me think of something like we've all been hearing that 21st century leaders have a very high aptitude of emotional intelligence. So emotional intelligence is very important in 21st Mm -hmm. century leadership because whatever business you're in, you are in the people business if you're a Mm -hmm. leader. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that's great to know. Practice emotional intelligence. Right. And one thing that I think is interesting is that, is that responsive. um, I get this a lot from leaders. I already know all of this stuff. I already know about these time management tricks that you're going to tell me. I already know these things, but you would never hear like you would never hear an abbot tell their Buddhist followers that they're already enlightened. So right. They don't need to practice right. meditation, right? Right, and exactly. So, and so we're, we're missing the point here. If you want to get long-term gains instead of short-term solutions that fade over time, you got to practice the skills. Right, and exactly. That goes back to my comment about emotional intelligence. Okay, you know you need emotional yeah. intelligence. Let me see you practice it. Exactly. You can watch all the videos you want, but. What do I do? You know, my, my female employee is crying. Right. What do I, and as men, we don't like it when females are crying unless it's like tears of joy. And then even then we're kind of uncomfortable. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, and how do we address those issues and who are we going to, who are we going to talk to about that? If you try to go to like an internal mentor within your organization, how can you have an open conversation when you need to worry about your own reputation within right. that organization? So it's one of those things where you really do want to have outside advisors kind of a thing when, you, when you're addressing those very specific emotional employee issues. Absolutely. And somebody with some experience. So that, yes, yeah. I don't know if you do role-playing uh, sometimes with, with your clients, but I certainly do some role-playing mm-hmm. with my clients. I'm like, okay, well, you have this difficult conversation. Uh, I'm going to be the other person. Let's, let's do a role-play here and see how that's going to go. Right. One thing that I find also that's helpful in these is visualization. And I know that sounds corny. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you, I, I told you I'm a nerd, so I'm going sure. to keep going well, for a second. I, I think all coaches are kind of nerds and we <laughs> love l- reading this stuff and going through these studies. You know, this is what I do in my spare time. I read these studies. Yeah, we find this stuff fascinating. So yeah. that's why you want to go to the experts, right? We, we enjoy this stuff. Right. 
so this other study about visualization was done by a uh, Dr. B.A. Ciotto out of the University of Chicago. And he took individuals and put them into three groups. And he tested them all on how many free throws they could make. Mm -hmm. The first group that he tested, he had them practice every day for an hour for 30 days. The second group, he had visualized themselves making free throws for 30 days. And the third group did absolutely nothing. And what he found is that the first group who practiced after he retested them after 30 days is that the group that practiced improved by 24%. The group that did nothing didn't improve at all. And that was kind of expected. Right. Those are, those are expected numbers. Yes. Right. Right. But what was most telling is the group that only visualized themselves practicing, making free throws. That group improved by 23%. Yes nearly as much as people who are actually practicing. And the reason is because our brains don't separate that difference there. So when we're visualizing something, we are literally training our brain on how to approach that situation. And because our brain is attached to our bodies, we start to see those real world results. And that's what we're really looking for, right? Those, those real world results. Absolutely. And the great thing about that study is that shows that when people say, I don't have time to practice, all you gotta right. do is visualize. Like you could be on a plane and visualizing your free throws or playing the piano or having a conversation, having a difficult conversation with an employee, and that's going to improve your results. Yeah. So you're not with that person. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to go back to that example that you gave where you have that employee who they're and they're crying. And let's say, you know, you go through that experience and you're like, wow, that really did not go the way that I wanted to. Then you can visualize yourself approaching it the way that you would have rather approached it. So that way, the next time a scenario like that comes across, you're more prepared to be able to address it the way that you want to address it. That's, that's great. That's awesome. We all have moments where we have some time where we can just sit and think and hopefully not be distracted while we're driving and not closing our eyes <laughs> and visualizing while we're driving. But, you know, maybe, like I said, maybe on an airplane or maybe it just, just, just some downtime uh, where we can kind of help improve our results. I think that's a blog. Yeah, safe visualizations. That that could be a blog. Yes. <laughs> I actually learned about that study about, I'm not sure when it was done, but I, I think I learned about it six or eight years ago. And I learned about it. I learned about it from our grandmaster in martial arts. Oh, and yeah. He was telling us about the visualization, that exact study with regards to our form, with mm -hmm. our forms. And in karate, it's called kata in Taekwondo, it's called a pumze, but they're all different forms. And there are a series of movements that everybody in the world does the same ones to help improve your performance in, in those things. So yeah, really pra practicing with that brain. Absolutely. Because yeah. as you know, the brain cannot distinguish between a vivid imagery and the real thing. Right. You know, actually, that's a good point. If we go back on the stress, if you're visualizing an event, in a negative way over and over again, mm -hmm. that's a stressful thing to do to yourself. And so it might be a good opportunity to reframe it and then do that visualization. And so now we're also addressing the way that we want to approach it in the future, but we're reducing our stress at the same time. Two birds, one stone, Ken, how could we lose? Oh, that's, that's amazing because that's what we tend to do, right? We have a, a stressful event, something that happened. We don't want it to go that, we didn't want it to go that way or something happened. And what do we do? We ruminate on it. Yeah. Just think about it constantly. Wow. I wish I could have done this. I wish I could have done that. And then that causes further stress. Like you were saying. Yeah. And now we're upset. We're irritable. And then the mm -hmm. situation comes again and we approach it even worse than we did the first time. Right. 
So by reframing it, and how does someone reframe something like that? Right. Well, there's a lot of different kind of strategies. So now we're talking about perception. So let me kind of zoom out for a second. You can look at a, you know, like a rabbit as though it's cuddly pet or as a vermin that's eating the garden that you work so hard to plant, or you can look at it as though it's food because you're hungry. But how you perceive that bunny is going to determine how you interact with that rabbit and how that rabbit interacts with you. And so now we're getting into what we call limiting beliefs, which are false beliefs that we tell ourselves things like, this is hopeless. I can't work with this team. There's no way out of the situation. Well, there's always an option there. And so by putting these beliefs in our head, we're really holding ourselves back. So when we're talking about reframing these events and reframing these things, doing visualization, you want to you want to identify those times where you're giving yourself that this is hopeless, this this no way out. There's always a way out. Get creative when you're visualizing. Thank you, Ashley. That was great. So how can someone contact you at the Center for Advanced Leadership? Um, well, they can always visit our site at centerforadvancedleadership.com. They can call me at 888-806-9225. I have a catchy way of remembering that. It's 888-80-MICAL. Or you can send me an email directly. I love hearing from folks. And that's ashley at centerforadvancedleadership.com. Feel free to send me an email. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks again, Ashley. It was a great conversation. I know I learned a lot and I hope everyone else did too. Thanks very much for coming on the show. Absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity. You take care, Ken. Thanks a lot. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. And that is another episode of Conversations with Coaches with Coach Ashley Share. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this podcast, please hit that subscribe button and tell everyone that you know. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.